Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. Today, my brothers and sisters, we embark on a three-part series titled Six, Eight, Religion. Six, Eight, Religion. The focus text is Micah 6 and verse 8, where this Old Testament prophet lays out the essence of true religion. In our scripture reading today, which was so beautifully read by little Zoe and Ariana, the Lord reminds the people of all he's done for them. And in response, the people said, okay, so what does the Lord want from us? Burn offerings? Offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Or, or, or should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? It sounds to me, brothers and sisters, as though they had some sarcasm mixed in their response to the God Almighty. But Micah said, oh no, people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Over the next two weeks, Pastor Randy will preach on what it means to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Today, our focus is on doing justly a cry for justice. On August 20, 1619, wading in the waters of the Atlantic, was seen the glistening sails of the San Juan Bautista, a cargo ship cruising toward the coast of Jamestown, the British colony of Virginia. It had just made it through what was known as the Middle Passage, which was a trade route in the Atlantic Ocean used by many ships sailing from Africa to America with their cargo of slaves. By some estimates, tens of millions of Africans perished on the voyage to America, so much so that it's believed that sharks changed their migration patterns to feast on the bodies that littered the high seas after being thrown overboard. 
part of Bautista's precious cargo in the dank and crowded conditions of the ship's hull were the souls of men captured during raiding expeditions in West Africa. These prisoners, bound head to toe in rusty shackles and fetters, were kidnapped by the Portuguese and sold to English colonists. They were among the first enslaved Africans to arrive in the New World, marking the beginning of two and a half centuries of race-based chattel slavery in North America, and it set the stage for an American tragedy that would eventually send shockwaves of America's human rights abuses around the globe. Little did these captives realize when their feet touched down on the shores of this foreign land that they had reached the point of no return, that they would forever be severed from their language, their families, their homeland, and their culture. Cut off from every earthly resource, they were sold to the highest bidder on auction blocks as human merchandise and forced to work on concentration camps throughout the South known as plantations. While their forced labor enriched the economy in this strange land, the future forecast for them and their posterity was a perpetual state of servitude and disenfranchisement. As the saga unfolded and time progressed, months turned into years, years into decades, and decades into centuries, and woven in the tapestry of the blood-stained banner of the American flag are tales of slave codes and slave revolts, the rise of abolitionists, both black and white, civil war and domestic terrorism, unfair sharecropping and Jim Crow laws, constitutional amendments and Supreme Court decisions, anti-lynching campaigns, and voter registration drives, segregated social venues and restrictive covenants, signs that read that read white only and black only over there, white hospitals and black hospitals, marches and protests, black schools and white schools, segregated lunch counters and movie theaters, economic boycotts and social discord, church bombings, and cross burnings, freedom riders singing freedom songs and Negro spirituals, emerging civil rights icons, anti-discrimination legislation and acts of Congress, and the assassination and martyrdom of anyone who dared to sound a cry for justice. And even in death, they were segregated by race. The historical record would mark the, atrocity, the atrocious events that happened in these United States of America, not as black history, but as the dark ages of American history and crimes against humanity that were of such magnitude that they have forever shaped us as a nation and gave rise to trailblazing activism. Many lessons were learned during the civil rights movement, but two lessons for sure were learned. Number one, what men are capable of doing when the Spirit of God does not reside in the heart. 
And number two, when the soul witnesses inhumane acts against fellow human beings, it craves for a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and justice. In the form of moaning and groaning that can only be heard by the Holy Spirit, theirs was a cry for justice, and God heard their cry. Hallelujah. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Jesus said in Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Brothers and sisters, God is always on the side of the oppressed. Let me repeat that again. Brothers and sisters, God is always on the side of the oppressed. The civil rights movement was aided by the hand of divine providence because only God can convict the heart of sin and bring it to repentance. Behind the scenes of America's conflict were powerful forces of influence controlling the hearts of men and women to take a stand for justice. And praise God, hallelujah, this morning, justice prevailed. Justice prevailed. Now, you know, the spirit of injustice is nothing new to us here today. Abel was unjustly murdered by his brother Cain. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused of rape, and ended up imprisoned in an Egyptian dungeon. And Hebrews chapter 11 highlights a long list of the champions of faith. The people of God who were treated unjustly but held firmly to their faith in God. And I'm sure if we had time to go around to each of you just today, some of you would have experiences in your own lives where you've been unjustly treated, but you held on to God's unchanging hand, and hallelujah, he brought you through, amen? The prophet Micah was so moved by the suffering of the poor and the oppressed at the hands of the wicked in his time that he fearlessly championed their cause and spoke of the coming judgments of God at the peril of his very life. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, his stand for justice produced one of the greatest passages in all the Bible, Michael's summary of true religion. He said, the Lord has told you, O man, what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do justly. The prophetic literature is full of instances when the prophet acts as an agent of the heavenly court and informs the people of God that God holds a grievance against them. Micah comes before the nation of Israel like a bailiff in modern-day courts. Micah informs the Israelites that God has a dispute against them. God has a contention against his people, and God demands an answer. The prophet Micah condemns the leaders of his people for injustices perpetuated against the poor and the powerless, a complacency that pretends that nothing is wrong 
and the abuse of power by both political and religious leaders. Now, you would think that Micah was living in our day and time, amen? When Micah confronted the leaders of the nation with these injustices, their response was to change the subject. You know how we do sometimes. When we don't want to be confronted with truth, we change the subject. They say, hey, you know, we're good Jews. We go to the temple every Sabbath. As if that lessened the seriousness of their injustices or as though they could hide behind the veil of their religiosity. But Micah brings specific charges against the nation. He said, do you dare think that you are honoring God simply by bowing before him? Do you think God is pleased because you bring burnt offerings and gifts of incense to the altar? I hear the same question being asked of us here today. What does God expect from us? What does God expect from us? We need to know that God's charges to the Israelites through the prophet Micah are resounding through the tunnels of time and into our very churches here today. Friends, God's greatest concern is not that we come to church and Sabbath school on Sabbath morning. God's greatest concern is not that we give our 10% tithe and offering into the offering plate. God's greatest concern is not that we sing beautifully and pray eloquently. While all of these things are wonderful and should be done, they are not God's greatest concern. God's greatest concern is what is going on in our hearts. God's greatest concern is how we respond to the needs of our fellow men when we find them in need of something that they don't have. The prolific English writer G.K. Chesterton rightly remarked when he said that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore not tried. Christianity does not merely request that we perform minimal requirements, but God demands from us our very best. Why? He gave us his very best. So what does God really care about? What is it that God is looking for his children to do? God requires us to be concerned about justice. God requires us to be concerned about justice. So what does justice mean in this context? The word justice means fairness, fair play, and equity within the human family. In the thought of the Old Testament, to do justice involved the basic needs, requirements, and even rights of people living together in community. It should have that same connotation with us here today. It matters not on what side of the tracks you live. It matters not what type of house you live in. It matters not your income or social status. It matters not your ethnicity. Justice is severely lacking, brothers and sisters, in our nation today. You know, even our Pledge of Allegiance recognizes the importance of justice and proclaims justice for all. Although it's obvious 
that many times we no longer honor that creed in our nation. In reality, justice is based many times on your ethnicity and your financial worth. There are nine words that most often are associated with the word justice in the Bible. They are widow, fatherless, orphans, poor, hungry, stranger, needy, weak, and oppressed. God requires that we work for fairness for these people of our world. God requires a commitment to the poor, the oppressed, and the powerless in our society. We must be the voice of people who have no voice of their own by which to remedy the injustices that marginalize them as human beings. Such a practice makes doing justice an act of courage as well as an act of devotion to God. Someone say amen. I believe that if the prophet Micah were to walk amongst us today, that he might have a few things to say to us. I believe he may say that you enjoy a life of freedom and abundance in America, but you've forgotten God and your relationship with God. He may say you've forgotten that you represent the kingdom of God, and therefore you are the hands and the feet of Jesus here on earth. Michael might say that it doesn't matter if you post the Ten Commandments on all your public buildings if only the rich can afford justice in your courts. He may say it doesn't matter if you stand up for prayer in schools, if you deny poor children the health care and quality education that your children have access to. He may say it doesn't matter that you ardently complain when somebody wants to take in God we trust off your currency if your whole life is consumed with consuming, with acquiring, with buying the things that those dollars can buy, but never help the poor and less fortunate. So what does the Lord require of you? To sound a cry for justice. We must be vigilant, brothers and sisters, in our personal and political lives to make sure that every child of God is treated equally and fairly. We must be certain that no child of God is left behind in the slavery to the forces of greed. We must live as Jesus lived. We must love as Jesus loved. So what does the Lord require of us today? To sound a cry for justice. To act justly means that we are honest in all of our affairs. For honesty is the best policy for others, but for us Christians, honesty is the only policy. A butcher, a butcher was once asked how his life changed since he accepted Christ into his life. His reply was, I stopped weighing my thumb. He used to leave his thumb on the scale every time he'd weigh a piece of meat, which would always shorten the customer an ounce. Since I became a Christian, he said, I quit weighing my thumb. In fact, I now give them a little more than what they pay for to make up for all the years that I overcharged them. Have mercy. This is what happened to Zacchaeus, remember, when he met Jesus. The tax collector stood up and said, Lord, 
Here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. At the social level, we need to address the social causes of injustices in our communities. If we see injustices and we remain quiet, if we see injustices and we remain quiet, it means that we are also oppressors. The South African activist and retired Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu once said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse, and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. As Christians, brothers and sisters, we must be concerned about the widows, the fatherless, the poor, the hungry, the strangers, the needy, the weak, and the oppressed in our communities. God has called us, you and me, he's called us, his church, to be his hands, to be his feet, and to take his justice and mercy into the world, to minister to the lost, to the poor, and to the brokenhearted. Our world today is writhing in hopeless desperation. Three billion are desperately poor. One billion are hungry. Millions are trafficked into human slavery. Ten million children die needlessly each year. Wars and conflicts are wreaking havoc. Pandemic diseases are spreading. Ethnic hatred is flaming. And terrorism is growing, both international and domestic. And if we are not careful, we, the Christian church, can become immune to these realities by insulating and isolating ourselves and becoming anesthetized into a dull stupor as we idly wait for Jesus to return and swoop us off the glory land. Well, I have some news for you today. It won't happen quite that way because we have a work to do until the master comes. Someone say amen. Bob Pierce the founder of World Vision once prayed, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Jesus' was, Jesus's heart was continually moved to compassion as he encountered the lame, the sick, the poor, the widowed, and the orphaned. So what was Jesus' example while he was here on earth? He healed the sick. He loved the poor. He touched the lepers. He stood up for the down and out. He forgave the sinner. He condemned the religious hypocrites. He dined with prostitutes and corrupt tax collectors. He challenged the wealthy and the powerful. He spoke truth to power. He fought for injustice for the oppressed. He defied his culture. He renounced materialism. He demonstrated that greatness is found in serving. Then he died that others might live. Brothers and sisters, these actions performed by one man changed the world then. These same actions when carried out by his followers can change our world today. Someone say amen. 
Now, all of this begs the question, all of this begs the question to each of us sitting here today, where are we individually and collectively? Where are we today? Are we dealing in a just manner in our relationships with those around us, with our families, with our friendships, our co-workers, the strangers we meet? I'll be the first to admit that it's not easy to be an advocate for justice. Sometimes it can be downright scary and challenging. But then I think of the poignant words of Dr. Martin Luther King when he says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Now, while no one person can do everything, everyone can do something. Everyone can do something. We here at Loma Linda University Church are blessed to be a part of a church that takes seriously the mandate by God to reach out to those less fortunate. Amen. Our UREACH department, under the direction of Linda Mendez, is actively involved in community outreach and practical support of those in need in our community. Our young adults with Pastor Philip are involved in the community outreach ministry as well. I would challenge each of you to volunteer in one of these ministries, or if you cannot personally go, send your money. That's appreciated as well. You may also consider using whatever gifts you have on a short-term mission trip or becoming active in local civic organizations. In other words, let's all do our part to sound a cry for justice. I honestly believe that only when we get to heaven, only when we get to heaven will we know the full effect of our sound and cry for justice here on earth. I can imagine that throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, people will be coming to us, up to us saying, you never even met me here on earth. But because of your stand for justice, because of your love, because of your kindness, I am in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And oh, brothers and sisters, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and we will shout the victory. Hallelujah. Then we'll join those on the sea of glass who have been victorious that John spoke about in Revelation. And we'll sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. We'll shout, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God. Just, just and true are your ways, O King of saints. I plan to be in heaven. How about you?